0: Welcome everyone, I'm your host, Greg McEwen, and I am here with you on this journey to learn. Do you ever feel like there's something in the modern world that fries your brain, that leaves you in red brain, where you're just so pulled in a million directions all the time that it's hard to actually give attention to what's essential? Well, in part two of my conversation with Dr. Gloria Mark, we get into some specific questions you can ask yourself to be able to assess how you're doing and what you can do to increase and then protect your peak attention hours. Let's get to it. Remember that if you want to get more out of each episode, take a moment to share something that you have learned that has impacted you with someone else within the next 24 to 48 hours. Dr. Mark, let's carry on from where we were before. If you had to take all the data that you've gathered over these years and give us the peer reviewed, actionable, habits that we can establish to be able to thrive in this new reality, what would your number one suggestion be?
1: I I would say, be aware of your level of mental resources and take significant breaks to make sure that you have a full tank of resources. Start your day. With a full tank of resources getting sufficient sleep. We know that when people accumulate what's called sleep debt, that their attention spans decline. Sleep debt means that if I need eight hours of sleep a night and I'm only getting six, for every night I'm getting six, I'm accumulating a debt in my sleep. And the greater that debt, we see a correlation with shorter attention spans. So start your day with a full tank of well-rested good attentional resources and then throughout the day be aware of when your resources are starting to wane and take a significant break. How long and, should that break be? You know, the we know from research that a 20-minute walk in nature can help people significantly de-stress. My own research has shown that people can improve their divergent thinking. That means brainstorming, thinking of yep. more ideas, better ideas. Right. So 20 minutes is very valuable. I realize that not everyone can afford 20 minutes multiple times a day. But, but would you know,
0: that be ideal? Are you saying that would be the thing to do? Would be as soon as your attention resource is lagging, go and take another twenty-minute walk. If <laughs> someone could do it, that's what you would say was optimal, based in the research.
1: Yes, if someone could do it, if then yes,
0: absolutely. How, how often would be the optimal?
1: You know, we know that there's two peaks of attention: mid to late morning, mid to late afternoon. You know, when people start the day. You know, that's probably you don't need a significant break in the morning Mm. because people, what we see people generally doing is they do easy activities before they, you know, head off into really hard, difficult work. And so after you get to that peak focus state, you know, and you're expending all those precious resources, then it's time to take a really good break and build yourself up. And then again, once you're built up and you start heading toward your second peak, and then you're expending all these resources, then again, it's time to take a, a really significant break after. Now, it's also very useful to take shorter breaks. You know, take five minute breaks, 10 minute breaks, step away. You can move around, you know, walk around inside, or even, I've gotten a lot of flack for this, but even doing simple rote activities can calm people and can help refresh them.
0: What do you mean exactly, and why have you been given a hard time about it?
1: (laughs) Because people tend to think that it's a horrible thing to do something, to do a simple task that is wasteful.
0: But what do you even mean then by a rote task?
1: Okay, I'll give you some examples. The great writer Maya Angelou mm-hmm. had her what she called a big mind and a little mind. The big mind was what she used when she focused really hard when she did her writing. Her little mind was what she used to pull back and replenish and she did crossword puzzles. The philosopher Wittgenstein peeled potatoes. That was his road activity and he said he got his greatest ideas when he peeled potatoes. My rote activity is doing a simple anagram game. It just relaxes me. My mind is lightly engaged, but I'm really not putting in much effort. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a chance to replenish. Whatever works, people can do knitting. One person described he has this ball at the screen and he throws a ball against the screen. Golf, you know, doing putting of golf as a simple activity. Some great writers have done gardening as simple activities. So whatever works for you, and it's not bad to do mindless tasks like that because it has a benefit, and the benefit is that it can help replenish our, our spent resources. And we also know from research that it makes people happy. And that's not a bad
0: thing. (laughs) That's not a bad thing at all. Okay, so help us design then the optimal routine for being able to implement these ideas that you're saying are the primary ones to focus on. So Mm -hmm. you're saying sleep, full sleep at night. Okay, that's its own massive subject on its own for all of the reasons that sleep can be challenging for people. But nevertheless, that would be the ideal because then you have this maximized store of attention as you enter the day. The second thing you're saying is after you've gone through big mind work, you then take a 20-minute break to go on a walk in nature or do something that is restorative for you, but low-key strain on your mind. Not mindless, really, but somehow... Was it? small mind let small your small mind, mind. Work. exactly and that should be non digital work
1: it ca- it can be digital but if you've got 5 minutes before a really tough meeting and you just need to get your mind a little bit refreshed and maybe it's doesn't work for you to get up and walk around it's okay to do some simple thing on your phone or computer. It's not a bad thing. What's bad is when we get stuck in a rabbit hole, when we can't stop. That's what's bad. So you have to be strategic and you have to be intentional so that what you're doing is not going to trap you.
0: Okay. Tell me more about what you mean then. I know I can imagine what rabbit hole looks like but are you just talking about somebody's in social media? They get consumed down some channel. They're there for half an hour, they're there for an hour, maybe more, even without really noticing it. They're on some YouTube short, and it just consumes them almost involuntarily. They're just unaware that they're even doing it. Is this what you mean by this downward cycle?
1: Yeah, that's that's a rabbit hole. If you've got if you need to take a short break, I would not recommend that you go to social media. I would recommend rather that you do some other kind of rote, simple activity. Something that, you know, calms you.
0: Why have people given you a hard time about this rote activity?
1: Because people tend to think that doing what they call mindless activity is bad. The narrative is we have to push ourselves to the level of exhaustion. We should be focused as long as we possibly can. And I'm saying... Let's give ourselves permission to step back. Let's give ourselves permission to replenish. And I don't believe we should create environments for ourselves where we get ourselves exhausted because then we can't be productive at all.
0: Yeah, what you're saying is familiar to me. The presumption that maximum effort equals maximum results is wrong. It's not logically how we are. It's not how we are psychologically. So we're just ignoring that we're living creatures and pretending that we operate like machines. And so we actually have very sub-optimal results, even though what we want is maximum results. I mean, I did a podcast episode recently about the 85% rule, the idea that if you try to maximize, even focus, if you try to maximize your effort to focus at 100% of the time, you'll be far less productive than if you take something closer to the 85% level of effort,
2: so your reaction. I,
1: I want to stress that humans are unique. We have individual differences. And it's very important for every individual to discover what their own personal rhythm of uh, attentional resource use is. So I know when my peak is and when my valleys are. You know, I've talked to lots of different people who've been able to talk about that. So there's no hard and fast algorithm that can be applied for all people, but people need to understand when their own attentional capacity is at its peak. I've had, for example, I've had my students do exercises where they kept a diary and would write th- you know, throughout the day what they felt their level of attentional resources were. And they did that as a way to discover when their own peaks and valleys are. And that's something that, it, that everyone can do. You might intuitively know it already, but you can also find it out empirically by keeping track in a diary for yourself.
0: Can you describe that precisely? What was the assignment that you gave to your
1: students? For this class, they set timers that went off at random points throughout the day. Hmm. And when the timer went off, they simply had to mark down on a scale what their level of mental resources were, what how challenged and how engaged they were.
0: How many times? Five times in a day?
1: I will say that when we probed people... When we did this study in the workplace we actually probed people 18 times throughout the day and the irony does not escape me that we had <laughs> people. 18
0: But nevertheless times. so you were doing this about every half an hour when you were probing other people yes. Your students were doing it less than that but more than 5 times a day they set an yes. alarm Was it every 45 minutes? Is that what we're talking about here? No,
1: I I think they did it much more frequently than that. I wanna say every 20 minutes to half hour.
0: Great, that's helpful. So every 20 minutes for one day, is that the period that you're gathering data or is it over a longer period than that?
1: So what we did in the workplace, we did this over five days and my students also did it over multiple days. Because a a single day could be an anomaly, so you want to do it for more than one day.
0: So they've got their journal. When the alarm goes off, they are going to do what, one score or two scores?
1: So they rated how engaged and how challenged
0: they were. Okay, I want to slow those down. How engaged they are, so that's just how interested I am in what I'm doing. Like, what's the tangible measure somebody can use to answer the question of how engaged they are in their task.
1: How absorbed are you in the thing you're doing?
0: Okay. How absorbed? Okay. I like that word for clarity. Okay. And then the second is how challenged you are. That is the level of difficulty of the task that you're doing.
1: More more precisely, how much mental effort are you expending to do mm. this? Like a task might be difficult for you and easy for me and vice versa. But what's more important is subjectively how much mental effort am I putting into this?
0: Okay, great. And then they would give themselves a score of one to 10 or was it a Likert scale, one to seven?
1: It was one to five.
0: One to five, all right. So they're doing this now every 20 minutes for five days. This gives you a good sense of, of your own patterns. But help us now interpret that. Let's say that somebody listening to this gets really serious. They want to gather the data. They're tired of just having a vague sense of the way their attention goes up or is depleted. How would they interpret the results after this five-day exercise of gathering the data?
1: Yeah. I should also mention there's a timestamp that goes with each of your ratings. And what you could do is you could create a four cells. So you've got the horizontal dimension is how challenged a person is. The vertical dimension is how engaged a person is. Mm-hmm. And if you recall what I said earlier, when a person is engaged and challenged, they're in a focus state, etc. When you're engaged, and not challenged, you're in a state of rote attention, You could take these numbers, and you could basically map them on to this two-by-two framework. So four and five would be considered high engagement and a high challenge. One and two would be low engagement, low challenge. Three would be right in the middle. So you would just plot that right in the middle. Anyways, the result... Is that you get states? You can assign a state of attention to your numbers. And then you can look over the course of the day and you can see what your attentional state is and how it's changed. Did you go from being, you know, wrote and then suddenly you're focused and then you're bored again? You can look at your own pattern mm-hmm. of attentional states and how they change. And it's important to look at multiple days so that you can get a sense of what your general pattern is.
0: And then I assume that what happens here is, as you already described, peaks and valleys. So everybody has that. It's just that slightly different times or for different kinds of tasks is the design point for this data that you then try to construct a routine and set of rituals that what? elongates the amount of high levels of attention that you're able to give, high quality amounts of time, or like what's success using this data?
1: So you can use use this data, you can use this framework as a basis for designing your day so that you can take advantage of those times when your attention is at its peak and you also know when your attention is in a trough. And you design your day such that you take the hardest tasks and the work that require the most creativity and intentionally design them to do them at those times when your attention is at its peak. So don't waste those peak times for doing email and certainly don't waste them doing social media, but you've Mm -hmm. got those mental resources. You can utilize them. And utilize them for creativity. That's when your thinking is at its top. You know, be very strategic in how you're designing your day.
0: Right. You want to make sure that you're doing the essential work of your life in those periods where you have optimal mental attention available. Yeah. And you're suggesting, I think, that there's t- likely two sets of that per day you know, that there's a, I think I'm speaking broadly, but correct me if I'm getting it wrong, that there'll be two big chunks of attention span to be able to mine effectively. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes. For I would say for most people, yes.
0: And what have you found to be the average length of those two windows of opportunity?
1: I would say it's for most people, it's in the range of roughly about one and a half to two hours for each of these peaks.
0: This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you, cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And so the real risk here is that we waste those two windows of opportunity on something completely trivial, instead of making sure that the most important work gets done in those two windows, and that period is protected. And then we do these other activities to make sure that we can even produce high quality attention twice a day. Am I hearing it right?
1: Yes. (laughs) And we don't want to intrude on those times by doing things like social media or email or what I call subservient work. Yep. Do the work that's most important during those times. But we also find for most people, they can't come to work and just be ramped up, ready to go. It takes people time to to slide into that state of peak attention
0: so peak attention has to be warmed up to
1: that's the way that that most people behave even people who are by all measures extremely productive that's how they behave
0: have you tried to correlate how people manage their peak attention span with productivity over time or with success in the workplace over time can you speak to that that there's a there's any relationship between that and some of the output we would want to have in life
1: yes well as you know understanding or getting a measure a metric of productivity for information workers is this is a problem people have grappled with in the research community and in management for decades we have come up with a subjective assessment of productivity that we think works well, which takes productivity and divides it up into different dimensions. And then we ask people to rate these dimensions, such as, you know, how well did you accomplish what you set out to accomplish, and what's the quality of your work, and how satisfied Are you with your work? So dimensions like that. How
0: many dimensions are there?
1: We have five dimensions.
0: Can you just list those dimensions for us?
1: Okay. How much did you accomplish today based on what you had planned to accomplish? How efficient do you feel you were today in performing your work? How satisfied were you in what you accomplished today? How effectively do you feel you managed your time today? How would you evaluate the quality of the work you did today? And overall, how productive do you feel you were today?
0: Those are great questions, but they sound a little depressing too.
1: Why, why are they depressing?
0: Well, it seems like I could ask those questions and might feel that I was falling short. On some or all of them. <clears throat> How did people respond when you asked those questions? They
1: responded across the whole range. I feel that they were asked in an objective way. I don't I don't feel like we biased. I mean, there are ways to bias <laughs> responses so that people would respond that they were more efficient or less efficient, but I, I think we had them balanced pretty well so that they were objective. But we did get a full range of responses, and that's a good test of any kind of survey, right? If you see responses you know across the full Yes,
0: range. That, that follow something like a normal distribution curve. And they are terrific questions. Did any of those questions stand out as being particularly useful in helping people evaluate their day?
1: You know, it turns out that the responses on these questions were very highly correlated,
0: mm-hmm. extremely
1: highly correlated, like over 90%.
0: So really, any one of them would do?
1: We actually could have reduced it to a single question.
0: But we're going to do that? Which would you have chosen now that you did the study?
1: I'm tempted to just ask the single question at the end, which is how productive do you feel you are but I would define that very carefully. So I would have people read a definition where this word "productive" is defined by these other measures I talked about: efficiency, quality, satisfaction. Did, you know accomplish what you intended to? So I would define that for people, and then I would just ask the single question. But there's one other point. Yeah, go that on. I didn't get a chance to talk about that I think is really important, and that's the idea of goals, being aware of your goals. And because goals are the best shield that we have against distractions, whether the distraction is external or internal from yourself. We did a study at Microsoft Research. This was led by Alex Williams. And We gave people a software bot, a conversational software agent that queried people what are your goals for today? What are your task goals? And what's your emotional goal? How do you want to feel today? What do you want to work on today? By getting people to identify their goals at the beginning of the day, we found that people stayed on track significantly better. But we also learned that this effect just lasts for a short period. And so we discovered that it's important to continually reinstate your goals throughout the day. So hmm. just once in the morning is not enough. So how can a person do that? You can write your goals on a post-it, note, set yourself a reminder, wh- whatever it is that will enable you to keep reminding and becoming aware of what your goals are, because attention is goal-oriented. We direct our attention according to what our goals are. If my goal is to write that book chapter, that's what I pay attention to. As soon as that goal slips, then I become susceptible to all kinds of distractions. It's like I'm in a pinball machine, Mm -hmm. and I no longer have agency, and I'm being knocked around by all kinds of external distractors, but also by my own internal distractors. So being goal-oriented is very important.
0: So it feels to me as you're talking that a lot of the things you're saying are things that we have heard, that we have read, that exist out there. But what is different is because you've studied it, gathering empirical data you can get to another level of precision in what you're talking about. So everybody's heard, if you have goals, that helps with not being distracted because you even know what the focus is. But to be able to say precisely, once in the morning is insufficient, is emblematic of this additive value, I think, that you're bringing into this conversation. Help us then take this, if you can, to a therefore what? The actionable advice for how somebody can begin to implement the findings of this rigorous research.
1: Yes. So start your day with good sleep, full tank of mental resources, understanding what your goals are. And I would say every hour, remind yourself of your goals because wow. we found that our conversational agents question had an effect for about an hour and then it faded so wow. we people need to keep reminding themselves of their goals be aware learn what your attentional capacity is when it's at its peak when it's at its valley learn your own rhythm of when your attention rises and falls So get to know yourself, be aware of your rhythm, design breaks intentionally into your day, significant breaks that can help you replenish. Walking outside is the best. I understand circumstances don't allow for everyone to go outside. So move around. If that doesn't work, find some kind of road activity that can relax you, that can make you happy and also allow you to replenish and then get back to work but above all probe yourself be intentional of your actions so that you're not doing unconscious automatic activities but you're really conscious and you can be you can then have agency over your attention and agency over your behavior on your devices
0: That is a beautiful summary, a terrific place for people to start. It's something that I can imagine people having to re-listen to and pause to try and turn that into a plan of action for them to be able to proceed. This has been time well spent for me. Uh, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for being on the Greg McEwen Podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: What is one idea you heard today that caught your attention? Why does that matter so much? And who is one person you can share that with within the next 24 to 48 hours? If you found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review of this episode will receive free access to the Essentialism Academy. For more details, go to essentialism.com forward slash podcast promo. Thank you, really thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.